PA Books is a production of PCN, a nonprofit television network. Listeners like you make our programming possible. To learn more about PCN's mission and to support PCN with a donation, visit PCNTV.com. This link and others can be found in our show notes. We appreciate your support. Welcome to the PA Books Podcast. I'm Phil Beckman. PA Books features interviews with authors of books about Pennsylvania history, culture, and people. In this episode, we talk with artist Carl Kerner and writer Bruce Mowdy about their book, Emotional Brandywine. This week on PA Books, Carl Kerner and Bruce Mowday, authors of Emotional Brandywine. Carl Kerner and Bruce Mowdy are the authors of Emotional Brandywine. Carl, you say in the book that uh, this has its origins in the 1970s. Why that far back? I, well, growing up in Chad's Ford, I mean, that's my home. Um, and just uh, experiencing uh, growing up on, on the, my grandparents' farm and around the area and being in the heart of uh, the Brandywine Valley uh, and knowing that skirmishes of the Battle of the Brandywine took place, it just added to extra romance and magic to it. Now, this is an area that, that's been your home for a long time. If you had to explain to somebody who hasn't been there before, what's special about it? I think it's just nestled in the Philadelphia suburbs. It still has a little bit of... Uh, uh, magic and history to it that's undisturbed. Uh, it's been encroached by suburbia so much, but uh, uh, through uh, uh, the art world and, and uh, the Battle of the Brandywine, obviously, it, it seems like it's uh, held a, a, a special, uh, I, the only thing I can think of is the word magic to it. And, and it really, uh, uh, has uh, enveloped me my whole life. Bruce, you're also, uh, you also live in the area and have I, a lot of experience there. You've written books about things that have happened down there. What, what's special to you about that area? Really, Carl and I, we uh, spent some time just walking around the battlefield and I've done it with other people. And, and you really get a sense of history for the, for the Brandywine. You can almost feel George Washington being there. and and Lafayette and uh, a lot of the other great leaders, but it's also such a pretty place. You know, it's known as horse country. Uh, Carl, uh, you know, being one of the famous artists there today, has taken over the mantle of some other artists in the area. It, you just really got to go and experience it. It's so much to do there, and it's pretty, and it just keeps the history alive. Why has it become an area where artists are drawn to it? It goes back to Howard Pyle, you know, and uh, his school of illustration and worked with such greats as uh, uh, Frank Schoonover and Harvey Dunn and N.C. Wyeth and that type of thing. And, and uh, there's, there's a pureness to it. it. There still is, I think. I think it's right, and, and Coral actually lives really close to... Uh, where Pyle had his school, you can almost see it from your hill, I guess. Yeah, just about, yeah. yeah. And so. it's it's continued, of course, there's Brandywine River Museum of Art there, and, and the Pyle legacy to N.C. Wyeth and Andrew Wyeth and Jamie Wyeth and 
uh, Carl is so connected in his family to the Wyeths, and they've been used as, I, I guess, models uh, for for some of the Wyeth paintings. And Carl's just kept that uh, the whole spirit alive with his own. Uh, inflections and with his own spirit. Actually, that's a good word, good emotional spirit of Carl to keep it alive. Now you mentioned the museum. Are, are other artists continuing to come into the area and find inspiration there? I think uh, it's a magnet for people from outside the area to to come. I think young artists or, or established artists still want to get a, uh, some sort of feeling of it. And uh, it's just a, a continuation. But there's very few homegrown uh, Brandywine artists anymore. So I guess I'm getting older. <laughs> Actually, I was thinking about that, and I, I think you're right. Um, you know, Quarles, kind of the dean, I guess, of the artists at the, of the moment. Now, you've been on this show before for your previous book, Emotional Gettysburg. Uh, how did you get from that book to this book? Well, we were, uh, the Emotional Gettysburg book's done very well through several Paint, uh, printings and Coronel and I were sitting, you know, what do we do next? And we had discussed uh, maybe doing something on Antietam, but uh, the thought struck us, and I'm not sure why we didn't think of it earlier, was we're both here in Brandywine, and Coral's right there on uh, basically on the skirmish area of the battlefield, and I'm former president of the Brandywine Battlefield Park Associates. It just seemed a natural once we thought about it, so that's how we kind of transitioned. Well, and Brandywine is, was, correct me if I'm wrong, but it was the largest land battle of the revolution. That's right. And yeah. probably the least known. So it just seemed like a, a natural to get it to be a little bit more recognized, from it, our end anyway. Yes, and I think it's getting a little bit more rec recognition. I know when I did my book on, on the first one on the Battle of the Brandywine, I was, you know, went, did some research on London and they very much knew about the American Revolution, but they didn't know about the Battle of the Brandywine and that was one of their big victories. And Since this was a major defeat for Washington, he never wrote about it and the British lost the war. So Brandywine got kind of lost, but uh, especially now with the connection with Lafayette and people realizing that's when he really became the American hero when he was wounded at Lafayette and Carl did such a great painting of um, remembering Lafayette at Brandywine in her book. I think it's starting to get a lot more notice and you know, it's another great reason to do our book, Emotional Brandywine. Now you did. One of the paintings, uh, Birmingham Meeting Fog, has some significance there. It's, it is the first one that's in the book. Did, how did you decide that that would be the first first painting? How did we, or did, 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 did <laughs> the designer? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, I, I, for me, you know, it's a, a lot of the uh, soldiers from uh, the battle were, were buried there. Am I correct on that? There, there's some um, there that that's correct. And, and, you know, with the fog also, it was a foggy day or it was a lot of fog on September the 11th with the, the rain and everything and, and the heat and, uh, you know, that, I, Carl just, I, I'll repeat this 25 times, or the Carl's paintings are just wonderful. And, uh, that really gives you that feeling of that day and, and it's more than just that day, it's the future and, and the present too. And if you take a look at that, 
that, that painting? Well, I find that you know, August, September, the early morning and the humidity and the fog rising and you go through a, uh, a cemetery <laughs> uh, to have that eeriness, uh, it just, uh, it, oh, it's the art of solitude. And I think that's what I felt about that. So how do you work together? Uh, Bruce, you're writing, Carl, you're painting. Do you, do you come up with the idea for the painting first and then do the writing? How, what's that process like? Well, I'm, going, I'm going to go ahead and answer that one. At least from my point of view, you know, I, I've never gone to Bruce and say, what do you think if I paint this? Like he's pretty much said, paint what you feel. And that's what Wyeth's always taught me. And I'll go from there. And, and uh, so I've had paintings I did in the, in the 70s up to the present for this book. And uh, uh, so in my mind, the book started in the 70s because of my heritage and history and finding artifacts on our farm property and so on. Uh, and showing uh, Bruce some of these early paintings, uh, it lent, in my mind, uh, Bruce a chance to uh, do his uh, creative uh, genius. <laughs> Thank you, Carl. <laughs> um, actually, that's right. I would never, ever dictate to Carl go paint this scene because that's not how artists work. And Carl has this great inspiration. I think out of the two books, I suggested maybe it'd be nice if it be a painting of, of one or uh, of the wheat field in Gettysburg, because that's where one of my relatives was wounded during the Battle of Gettysburg. And, and I know I'd made a pitch for something with Lafayette in the emotional Brandywine, but no way I dictated it. And you know, with Carl's paintings and with my research, you know, they all lent to tell a story of something of the battle and the history. And, and then I interviewed Carl and he told, he would tell me why he s selected that scene and what made it inspirational uh, to him and what the emotion behind it. And it really all just kind of meshed. Uh, there, there was no issues in me getting the copy and doing the essays to, to match Carl's paintings, but they all started with Carl's and Carl's inspiration. I found the difference between doing Gettysburg and Brandywine, you can go up to Gettysburg and there's Devil's Den, there's the wheat field, Culp's Hill. You go to Brandywine, see that development there? <laughs> that was, you know, where uh, the corridor of the, the British came up, you know, where those 200 houses are now. Uh, you know, so it was so much uh, more of a challenge to take myself back into time to see the pureness of what I, I felt Brandywine was. And yet uh, uh, there's still areas, like I said, that still have the, the conservancy uh, thrill of it because it's still the way it is, but it's so much less than Gettysburg. Very much, and we, along the way we had, we had some help. Early on when we were looking for scenes and stories, uh, some of the people at the old Kennett Meeting House. Mm. And, and this stood, and as a matter of fact, was part of the early engagements of the Battle of the Brandywine. Um, 
and it's only open a couple Sundays a year, but I knew some people there and we got an inside tour of it. And that gave a very special uh, feeling. And Quarrel was looking, and he did there and several other places. Uh, a lot of these areas have been painted before many times, but Quarrel wanted to do something different. And instead of having an outside look at the old Kennett Meeting House, we had a chance to do the tour inside. And Carl, why don't you talk about the uh, window painting that I really love? Well, that's probably one of the one of the most important ones to me because how buildings change over 200 years or so on, but the interior of the kind of meeting's pretty much uh, as is. In fact, you go in some of the pews there and there's carvings of uh, initials from the kids back then, you know, uh, with the dates and so on. And, and uh, I decided to uh, go up on the second floor and get it almost like a ethereal look down at uh, uh, the girl posed for Shay Allen uh, in, in her uh, uh, colonial garb, it was it, it was very moving to me because having her look out the window, uh, the anticipation of what's, what was to come and what is to be, and the uncertainty of, of that air that time of whoever would be looking at that you know, the British coming, and what's the future? What's going to happen, you know? That, that was the perfect, and I think that really was the essence of the book, where um, Shea was looking out the window, and was she just there at the date of the battle, watching the battle outside the window, or is it more of the future? What did the battle do in winning our independence, and what's in the future for us? So. Actually, that painting is, is really central to the whole key, to the whole book, because uh, with the Emotional Gettysburg book, we have people say they, you know, they read the book and Coral's paintings, and they don't look at Gettysburg the same way, because it's, you know, it's more than just a book about the battle. Um, it, it's about what it means to us and about our future. Well, how many books have been written about Gettysburg? Way too many. I tell people yeah. I never thought about writing about a book because I think there's actually 20 or 30,000 books on Gettysburg. And, and, and probably a little less on Brandywine. Probably yeah. a little less yeah. on yeah. Brandywine. But, but uh, it just, it just uh, that, that picture to me was, uh, you know, they're all important, but, but, I, but I think uh, it gives the viewer a chance to, uh, to uh, imagine a little bit. The uh, John Chandhouse painting also, and when it's painted, it's usually from the front, from the road across from the Chatsford Historical Society. But Coral said, I want to paint it as Washington saw it, and, and he was actually yeah. in the back of the house. I don't know if you notice, there's a, a misty fog in that one, too. too. Yeah. Yeah. And I did that in the, the 90s, I believe. Mm -hmm. so. No, it's really great. And we have Osborne's Hill. Again, it's glimpses. The book is something you won't get if you just kind of go and tour the area. But uh, Osborne's Hill, very central location for the British command during the fighting late in the afternoon of September 11th. And it's basically private property. And Carl got to know the people there. And we had a really interesting 
uh, tour of it. Carl was up there a couple of times, and you want to tell the story of well, the painting? Well, I think uh, it's it's a lone British soldier overlooking the the, the valley, and and uh, from what I was told, uh, there was a uh, a soldier there that had uh, been killed and was left, and was actually buried on the property, and uh, eventually. Uh, uh, you know, his remains were moved to another facility years later. But uh, just I think just goes to show how in and out, how fast the Battle of the Brandywine was, as opposed to a, a, a three-day battle and you know that type of thing, where you know the British is just almost running ramshot into Philly. And the reason the, uh, the body was moved was the one of the owners of the property was a little unhinged, I guess, or a little squeamish about having a, a, a British soldier buried on her property, and that was uh, the reason it was in uh, and turned and moved. Um, but the, there's some of the graves are, are integral to the Battle of the Brandywine there. Uh, Carl mentioned uh, going through the the graveyard at the Birmingham uh, at the Meeting House, the Lafayette Cemetery that they now call it, um, and, and also at the Old Kennett Meeting House because there's some Hessian soldiers that that are buried there. So it's very much a remembrance, along with um, you know look at the future of, of what happened there. Now, the painting you were talking about of the soldier left behind yes. on the Osborne Hill, it, it depicts a, a scene in winter. Why did you pick winter? I think, uh, again, soldier left behind, you know, time goes on, you know, and, and having uh, that that soldier not fresh off the the battlefield, but, but having the, the coldness of, of the loneliness of, of, of being uh, forgotten. And it just seemed more towards uh, late fall, early winter. With both uh, the books, Carl painted scenes, different seasons, and, and Carl is right that you know this is not Gettysburg's not just July one, two, and three. It's there all year, and, and the winter scenes are great. And the same way with the Battle of the Brandywine, it should be more. It should be known for more than just something that happened on September the 11th. Now, Carl, you say that strong feelings emanating from the battlefield are the foundation of the book, and certainly it's in the, in the title of this yeah. book. Oh, how important is, are these emotions? What, what do they mean for you as an artist? Well, uh, as, again, it's part of my root system, growing up in, in this little valley and, and knowing uh, what took place there as I grew up. And there, there was a little historian uh, by the name of Chris Sanderson in uh, Chad's Ford, and who was uh, a self-proclaimed, I believe, authority on the uh, Battle of the Brandywine. And even as uh, a child growing up, you would visit Chris, and he would just, the way he talked uh, with uh, a lot of bravado about that, uh, you know, the battle and so on, and then again, growing up in the current farm and so on, and plowing the fields and so on, and all of a sudden you come across a musket ball or a piece of a Dutch pipe or flints from the flintlock. And you're holding something that is such an important part of history that it's the foundation of our country, you know, uh, and uh, 
it just uh, has been embedded in in my mind. I mean, I still go out uh, uh, and and you you feel it. Uh, I I don't know how else to put it. You just feel it. You mentioned Chris Sanderson, and, and there's a, a famous photo that you reference uh, of him with Andrew Wyeth. Yes. And th that's part of one of the stories of one of the paintings that has uh, one of the blue historic markers yes, that we uh -huh, see around. Uh -huh. uh, what's that photo about, and why is it important? Uh, well, you know, I had, <laughs> I had done the, the painting of the, of the footnote, and believe it or not, then I discovered there's a picture of Wyeth and Sanderson there. It's like, you know, Andy had, you know, grew up in, again in this uh, world of uh, history, and having his father uh, uh, being such a, a well-known illustrator, and and uh, uh, hearing uh, Wyeth talk a little bit about the Battle of the Brandywine, which came to, uh, to him through Chris Anderson, believe it or not, you know, and and. Uh, uh, so when I did that painting, I, I did not realize, uh, I was just as surprised when I came across the photo of Andy and Chris there. But I never, you know, as often as I'm on the highway, I don't usually see people pulled over and actually reading those signs. Maybe they do, but I'm just not there. Mm, you yeah. get hit on some of those roads <laughs> yeah. that are a little too busy. Yeah. Phil, early on you asked uh, what makes the Brandywine so special, and actually I think Chris Sanderson and people like him, characters. Uh, light areas have characters, but Chris is very much, he lived in Washington's headquarters with his mother. He didn't drive, so he was a fixture of hitchhiking rides. He was a fiddler. I remember as a kid, uh, he had his own radio show, and I used to Sunday afternoon listen to Chris Sanderson on the radio. But it's it's all part of the the Chad's Ford Chester County Brandywine lore, I think. Uh, talk more about that lore. Uh, is, is that something? Are, are there memories of the battle that have been passed down generation to generation on, in the area? I think early on, yes. Uh, there's a great diary of a Quaker lad who. I uh, got caught up during the battle and wrote down memoirs later and that kept some of it uh, going. Uh, Bayard Taylor, famous author from the 1800s, uh, actually his brother was killed on the second day of the Battle of Gettysburg, but uh, he, one of the first things he wrote was taking a tour of the Brandywine battlefield and what it meant to him. Um, over the years, though, I think it very much has lessened, and actually when my book came out on the, uh, on the battle itself, uh, a lot of people told me, gee, we didn't know what happened here. We pass this all the time, and, and so uh, it's a shame a lot of our history is starting to fade away a little bit, but I think emotional Brandywine, emotional Gettysburg is starting to bring it back, and it deserves to be remembered. Carl, growing up there, uh, you're on the battlefield. You're surrounded by it. it. Was it something that people were conscious of that they talked about? Uh, I think, uh, from uh, the Kerner view, was how many bales of hay can we get in today? <laughs> not, not as it wasn't talked about as much because uh, just uh, the, the the center part was making a living, you know, uh, with my father and grandfather and the farming and and you know the the 
the highlight for us uh, in the spring plowing or the fall plowing, and then you hope you get a lot of rain, and then you might find something, you know. And and again, uh, you know, Brandywine Valley is probably known more for the arts than the Battle of Brandywine, and and that's it's a shame, really. But but uh, I do think like like you know the paintings that Howard Pyle did or, or uh, Schoonover and, and those folks still have a lure uh, to, the, to, the, uh, to the viewer uh, that's exposed to it. And, uh, you know, there, there's something that drew everybody in, you know, and, and uh, uh, again, uh, the word uh, magic to it comes to, to mind to me. Now, the earliest one, uh, Remembrance of the Battle of the Brandywine and the park itself, uh, my parents used to bring my uh, sister, brother, and I there to tire us out because they have big rolling hills. My dad worked at Capitol Bakery, so a pack of sticky buns and running up and down those hills would put us out to, for the night. So uh, <laughs> that, that was my earliest uh, remembrance of going to the battlefield. One of the paintings is called Philadelphia Campaign, yeah. and it, it depicts uh, a man named Tom Stolfi. Who is yes. he? Uh, he was a volunteer at the Brandywine Battlefield, uh, and I, I got to know him a little bit, and he was a reenactor, and, and uh, uh, quite a good one, uh, too, because uh, he had lost a leg, so he really fit, it, fit into it with his prosthesis and so on. Absolutely. He was a volunteer when I was president of the board of the Battlefield Park, and he was always out willing to spread the word about the history, loved to dress up in that uniform, um, and it was painful, his leg. I, I remember you know, talking to him about it, but it was just a wonderful person. And actually, it was one of the first times I met Carl, I think. Uh, it's been a while. Yeah, it's been a while that uh, Carl did the painting, and. He, he was selling some prints to raise money, maybe for the Sanderson yeah. Museum. Uh, I was selling some of my books at the Sanderson and bought one of the, the prints because I, I knew Tom, and that was. Well, that, that fellow really fit the uh, reenactment mode. Yes. I mean, uh, you could go back uh, in time and probably find him. <laughs> What's the significance? Certainly, he's an individual. Yes. Uh, how does the painting take people beyond the individual and represent, say, the, the principle of the citizen soldier? I, I think, uh, at least in my mind, look into the eyes of the painting, and there's a vision in those eyes that uh, very, uh, uh, very powerful. That uh, we won't be beaten. That's kind of how I feel about it. Also, yeah. the setting with uh, in Philadelphia yes. at Independence Hall and the big moon, you, you know, that was the soldier fighting for our country very much. We'll be back in a moment with the PA Books podcast. Enjoying this podcast? Please support PCN with a donation at PCNTV.com. This link and others can be found in our show notes. We appreciate your support. Carl, when you, you're painting a site, do you, do you paint on the site or do you go out and sketch and I come do, back? I do uh, something called a lot of thumbnail sketches, which are maybe like three, three by four inches. Uh, I'm not one to worry about doing the detail in a drawing. Uh, I get enough of an idea down and then get back to the studio and, and just let it uh, 
let it flow. And, and uh, uh, if I have to go back to the setting, I'll still you know, take my drawing book and make my little notes and so on. But uh, uh, I'm, I'm careful to, uh, uh, not to be photorealistic, but enough to let the painting uh, take the viewer to a, a certain point and let the viewer's imagination go further than the painting. Bruce, when, you, when you're engaging with Carl's paintings, do you then go out to visit the site, or how, how do you work that? It's lucky, you know, with these two books, I've probably been to both sites many, many, many times, but when we did Gettysburg, it was you know, how we started, that we went out several days together, and we kind of toured the battlefield together, and uh, at Brandywine, we both knew the site, so when I viewed Carl's finished painting, then I, I could do the research and kind of figure out what I was speaking. Mm -hmm. he, he did a great one called Flintlock uh, yeah. with the mechanism uh, of the, the, the rifle. And that gave me a chance to get into history and say what the weapons were like and how they were made. And um, I can always take a lead off of what Carl's painted and, and then try to tell a little bit of the history along with it. Right, I think I, think I would say, Bruce, here, here's the finished piece. This is what I felt about when I did it. Now run with it, you know. And mm -hmm. and uh, so it's it's like you asked me a little bit ago. Does Bruce tell me what to paint? I don't tell him what to write, <laughs> you know. <laughs> and it's worked out perfectly because yeah. Carl's paintings are so inspirational. It gives me a chance to. Say, Oh yeah, I can talk about uh, a subject maybe not uh, usually written about, like in Gettysburg. And Carl, as you now know, grew up on the farm, but he did some of uh, the farm animals up in Gettysburg, and that gave me a chance to talk about the loss of the of you know, horses and animals and stuff during the battle. So it just kind of all kind of meshes together. So when you initially write, you, when you see a painting for the first time, do you take notes and then go back to your, wherever it is you do your writing, or what's your process I, like? I like to get Coral send me a, or Shale send me a JPEG of it, and so I'll have that image on my computer screen. And that's kind of the first look, and then I can do research, and, and so I'll have it there, or I can also uh, you know, go back to the scene itself if I, I want to get some more information. And a big part of it is uh, either sitting face to face with Carl and doing an interview or having to send some notes, you know, why did you select this? Or give me some background or talk to me about kid growing up in Brandywine and what led to painting that. So it, part of it is that interview process with Carl. Part of it is, uh, looking at uh, the painting and, and then doing the research on the history. So it's, it's three or four prongs to, to put those essays together. I think one of the hardest parts for me between Gettysburg and Brandywine was you could go to the places in Gettysburg, like I said, the wheat field, and they're still there, and, and or Devil's Den or, or uh, uh, Culp's Hill or, or, or uh, Little Round Top or any of them, and you actually can walk it with, and the one thing I want to do with Gettysburg is have no weapons in that, uh, or monuments in that uh, book. Uh, I think uh, 
the only one was up at uh, Little Round Top with the uh, cathedral uh, that they put up there. And uh, so when the fellows came back, if, if they were to come back uh, uh, in this day and age, they could see the, the book and see the pureness of, the, of uh, Gettysburg as, as, it, as I would like them to see it. Now with Brandywine, it was so much different because you know, a lot of the places don't exist. You know, or don't have names, or or, or so on, and uh, so you you look at some of the the uh, the, the paintings, and there's there's the, the flintlock, or, or a September pass with with that, or or uh, a retreat of the brandywine, and uh, it, I think it gives you a, a sense of uh, the foundation of where this country was headed to, and the sacrifice that. Those fellows made. Not that there wasn't a sacrifice at Gettysburg, but but uh, the initial part of the, the foundation of the country. And, and the the terrain has changed. The Brandywine River itself has changed. It, the way it flows, it, uh, I think it was a lot deeper than what it is today. Because I'll get people who go there and I say that's not a river, it's a creek. <laughs> and, but if you go there after it rains, you would think it's a, a raging river at times. And uh, trying to find the exact route that the British took to outflank Washington, that where they formed up on Osborne Hill, and the road's not there anymore. And everybody tries to retrace it. And I was trying to do a, a map and just really couldn't do it. You couldn't put a modern map and overlay it and show where the roads were. So that you know, you you can do that at Gettysburg, but you can't do that at Brandywine. Now the, the the river itself it's it's its own has its own personality, and, and you can experience it in different places. Uh, you, you have one uh, painting fording the Brandywine. Yes. of course fording is always an issue for rivers. Right. Uh, Jeffrey's Ford is one that, that gets mentioned a few times. Right. Where, where is that? What's, what's interesting about it? It's uh, it's not a really big area. Uh, it's, it's up. Uh, with, it's uh, a little Osborne Hill. It's north. Northwest of Osborne Hill, a little bit. But what's important is that uh, when the British outflanked George Washington, they they went around Washington's right flank and they crossed the Brandywine at two different places. And Jeffreys Ford was the last one where they crossed, and um, that was very important because Washington didn't think that the British had a place to ford the river that far uh, north of him, and. The, the British had better loyalists that knew the area and led them right around and caused the, really the defeat at Brandywine. But Jeffers Ford was very important because that was one of the places the British forded. I, I just feel like the Brandywine's so small you could ford it anywhere. That's <laughs> kind of, you know, let's cross here, let's cross there. But, but um, one of my students uh, about 15 years ago uh, was up there and uh, just looked around the bank, you know, you know how water moves things, and he found a, a Hessian pipe, and uh, uh, it almost in like in mint condition, and had it identified. And so there's still things that you can pick up, you know. Just uh, not that he was looking for anything. Just uh, uh, history reveals itself. Were there places that you considered painting, and then? in the end decided not to? I think uh, it's, a, it's the same thing with, with uh, Gettysburg. There, there's hundreds of places you could paint. Uh, 
uh, and I think with with brandy wine, it might have been a little bit more difficult because of of all the developing in some of the areas. Uh, but uh, yeah, I think there, there's things that uh, I, maybe I could have done that you know. It comes down to, I think, the paintings I did were the ones I was meant to do. Now, one of the sites is the Brinton House yeah. in that area, and, and your painting of that uh, has uh, a lot of sky and, yes. and shows the, the chimney smoke going straight up, right. so clearly no wind. Right. Uh, what were you thinking or what were you feeling? The quiet of the night before. You know, uh, uh, it's the same thing I did with the painting of Moonlight on the Brandywine. Uh, the calmness before the storm. You know, that was a little uh, little inn uh, and just quietly minding its own business. But boy, was that in for a surprise. <laughs> now, if you would have painted Kenneth Square that night, it would have been a little bit different uh, because uh, the British troops and the officers apparently spent had a nice time in a yeah. couple of the taverns there that night, so there wasn't much calm in Kennett Square, which is where the British formed before they started the morning attack. Now, you do mention in the book that, that, that there was a story of the British discovering a, a stash of liquor at some, some location. Yeah, there were some uh, Wilmington uh, merchants who went, thought that the British would come up towards Wilmington, so they wanted to keep their liquor safe, and they took it along the Brandywine and put it right in the path of the flanking British army. Now, one, of, one of the paintings that was really striking uh, deals with the flag, the Brandywine flag, yeah. and it's uh, a, a field of red with the, the white American flag up, up in one of the corners. What's significant of that for you? I, I find that uh, the Brandywine flag is so well not known. <laughs> and. Uh, giving uh, the public a little bit more exposure and also through Bruce's writing mm. uh, to, uh, to, and to give people a chance to get to the main course through his writing through that painting. The flag is very distinctive. It was a Pennsylvania regimental flag uh, there at Brandywine. And um, if you see it, you, you just remember it. There are course, myths, a lot of them untrue. They grow up about Brandywine. One involves the flag, and some people have said that's the first American flag. Well, it wasn't, but it, it uh, you know, played a central part at Brandywine and has been preserved for us. So it's a really a piece of American history that can be preserved. And then we have Carl's painting with that also. Why do you think people don't really know as much about this battle? You, you mentioned being in England and, and there wasn't a much awareness there. Uh, what are your, what's your sense on that? Again, Washington didn't write about it. It was a major defeat. Um, if you take a look at some of the TV series on the American Revolution, they hardly ever mention Brandywine itself, and I think that's the main part. And you really have to take a look at it and study it. And uh, if you take a look at the people there, many famous people from George Washington and Alexander Hamilton, and very important for Lafayette. And the history were there. And on the British side, you had General Howe and Cornwallis, and 
uh, Tarleton, the, the infamous British uh, dragoon, uh, I mean, they were all on the other side. So all the elements were there, but it, again, you know, we lost it. Washington wanted to forget it, so I think it just got <laughs> lost. Yeah, we lost the battle. We England did. lost the war. That's There's it. the rug sweeping under. <laughs> Pretty much from both sides. Yeah. Now, Bruce, you've been on the show before about yes. your book, Lafayette at Brandywine. Right. Uh, give people a sense of the significance of this battle for him. Um, Lafayette um, had just been part of the American Army for just a couple weeks before. He didn't speak English very well. He was a volunteer. He had no people under his command. Uh, most people didn't know who he was on the morning of September 11th. He was an aide to Washington along with uh, Hamilton and, and was doing his duty. But by the end of that day, he really was on the road to become an American hero, and a hero that America really needed because we needed support of some European nations, especially France. And without Lafayette, we would not have gotten the support from France that, that we needed really to defeat the British. And what really established Lafayette was when this flanking movement uh, was discovered and the British were up on Osborne Hill attacking across Birmingham Hill up towards Birmingham Meeting House, Lafayette went up to Washington and said, I need to help, let me go up. And Washington said, go ahead, and Lafayette gathered some of his own uh, French officers on his staff. and road to Birmingham Hill, and instead of being uh, what some generals would do, would sit back on their horse and direct the men what to do, he got off his horse. He got in front of those troops, tried to steady him, tried to instigate a uh, bayonet charge, and while he was doing that, he was shot through the left leg. And the moment he spilled his blood, uh, everybody knew he was serious about helping us and just not another European general there to get money and put something on the resume. He was dedicated to our freedom and that it was a very big turning point of the American Revolution. It was right there at Brandywine and that's what should be remembered about Brandywine. Now, both your books uh, in the emotional series are deal with battlefields, and there's something inherently dramatic about battle. It's life and death circumstances mm -hmm. there. Could you do a book like this about something that wasn't a battlefield? I, I think I could because uh, it's all about emotion with me, with whatever I create. There's a, there's a, a, a love affair with, with the imagination and Romancing and and uh, uh, and uh, knowing what you uh, paint and uh, getting to know it. And Coral always uh, inspires me, so I am sure that uh, you know, the scenes would uh, make me look uh, into whatever subject Coral picked and, and and do the writing and the research uh, because. Yeah, Coral's not going to do a mundane painting of something that uh, everybody has done. Uh, there, there's inspiration, there's creativity behind everything. So I'd be willing to give it a try. <laughs> Phil, do you have a subject of mine? <laughs> well, we can talk about that later. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I want to talk about a place called Sandy Hollow. What, what's interesting about that and what's significant of that for you? Bruce, I'm going to ah, you go Sandy Hollow was actually... Um, 
in the area of the battle um, after they charged off of Osborne Hill, the British, where the Americans really uh, in dire need, uh, and they were trying to escape down to Chester, and some of the uh, American troops under General Green and some of the others put up a valiant stand for for a couple hours and really allowed the rest of the Washington's army to escape and reform back to Chester that night. Um, the part of the river ran red with blood, or the, the tributary back there is what they said. And um, a lot of people thought that uh, by that defense that the, the Americans realized they could stand toe-to-toe -to -toe with the vaunted British Army, one of the best in, in the world at that point. And it was significant, really. It saved the, the Americans that night, that day. Um, some of the British officers wrote, and I read in their journals, they said if they had another two hours of daylight, there wouldn't have been a Washington's Army left. And what really stymied them and didn't give them that extra time was the defense that was put up at Sandy Hollow. Uh, one of those plaques that Carl writes about, it was put up there recently, and it's actually on the farm owned by Randall Spackman, and Randall is a great reenactor, loves history, and allowed us to use some of his uh, uniforms and weapons for, <laughs> uh, for the book. And um, if you see, take a look in the back of the book, you'll, you'll see sketches that Shay did of us. And, and also the only, I think, photograph from the, uh, the whole American Revolution. And it was Carl and I was kind of clowning around with Randall's hat and coat and muskets. Well, one of the unique features of the time was the tricorn hat. Yes. And what, one of the paintings features one of those yes. on, on a peg with some shadows yes. of soldiers. Uh -huh. uh, Carl, what's the significance of that hat for you? Oh, the, <laughs> uh, the hat we actually uh, picked up at the Renaissance Fair. <laughs> and uh, just there's so much history. The tricorn hat is just uh, uh, a symbol, I think, of, uh, of the times. And... and uh, uh, hanging it up on the uh, on the peg and, and uh, uh, basically just washing in uh, uh, some colors uh, behind the hat on the peg, it, it started to take the the form of my goodness, that looks like that could be a soldier there. Oh wait a second, there's another one there. And then you just go ahead and 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 just play with it, and all of a sudden this this mysterious form starts to come up of, of soldiers and, and you start to feel like, my goodness, there, there's something happening with this painting. And uh, uh, it almost gives you uh, shivers when you, you look at it. And that also gave me a chance to look at a little bit of the history of the tri-corner hat. And at the time, uh, depending on what they were made of, you could tell a social status as somebody. And on the historical you know, part of it, uh, the, how you wore the hat. And if you were a soldier, you would wear it off to a side so it wouldn't interfere with your, right, your gun when you bring it down, your rifle. So it actually, you know, it was positionings were different for soldiers. Now, Carl, when you, when you visit a site, we've talked about, you know, how, how you approach it. And uh, do you feel you need to go back again? I, so many of these, these sites in this book are familiar to you. 
but do you, do you get to a point when you're painting where you're like, you know what, I want to go see that again? Oh, I've been doing it for 66 years. You know, always go back, you know, just to, just to feel your roots, you know. I mean, you, you, you do a painting and it's not like one and done. You, you do want to uh, uh, go back and, and think about it and, and how would you have done it differently? Uh, you know, that, that type of thing. But l like I said earlier, the ones you do the ones are the ones you were meant to do. And I think, uh, uh, yeah, this isn't just a uh, love them and leave them type paintings. You go back to it. The yeah. terrain really tells you a lot. Uh, when I did Pickett's Charge, you know, I was in, did a lot of research, but until I walked that field, and you can really see and you get a feeling for it. And uh, I, I know when I go to those fields, and I, I've been to both Brandywine and Gettysburg many different times, and, and it's just great when you can block out 21st century United States and, and you can almost feel what it's like to be there at the time uh, of the event taking place. Uh, when Carl and I did the first Gettysburg book, one of the first places we stopped was at the uh, end of Pickett's Charge. And Carl and I talked about uh, the, the experience on the way back and we both had a little bit of a different take on it, but it's to be there to experience the actual land really helps helps me with my writing. Now, uh, one of the paintings is called Silent Drummer, yeah. and uh, the drummers were had played a significant role in right. armies uh, during right. that time period. Uh, what is the significance of the silent drummer? Like uh, you overlook uh, the valley and hear that drum beat echoes through. Carl, was that and, the one where you um, got the idea after the last reenactment? Yeah, um, uh, yeah, they had the, the reenactment re up in uh, outside of Dilworth Town, and uh, again, I remember uh, there was an older gentleman teaching a twelve-year-old how to use the drum and that, and knowing that some of the drummers were probably kids. But uh, just the, how it's passed along, and I thought, you know, uh, you can go up to a, a, a certain spot on any battlefield, and if you're totally by yourself, you can whisk yourself away. But uh, again, hearing uh, just the, the rhythm and the echoing down across the valley, it uh, gives, you, gives you a feeling. Now, some of the paintings include a human subject, like the one we were just talking yes. about, but others, uh, you have a, a tree, or yes. the, in the thinking bench, you've got the, the Lafayette Sycamore there, right. as, and, and it has its own personality as well. Right, right. Well, every one of them has their own personality, living or not. You know, it's, a, it's what, uh, what you experience as a, a, as a creative person. You know, imagination uh, sometimes is more important than knowledge, right? So it's a... Uh, Sometimes my imagination gets me in trouble. I need to stick to the facts. So <laughs> the know, research well, is needed. You know, it's Carl's a, can, can do a little bit more of that. <laughs> I, I just think, uh, like with the thinking bench, uh, I did that in the 80s. Uh, again, all that has led up to the culmination of some of this in the, 
in this book uh, take time to think about uh, where uh, life has taken you through history and, and your own life experiences. It's a part of the recorded history and it needs to be preserved. Because uh, when you know, if you look back uh, for a while, there wasn't anything written about Brandywine, and the history gets away from us. So that's why it's really important to have Carl's paintings there to preserve this thought. Why is the tree called the Lafayette Sycamore? Um, it was there during the battle. Um, it was near the the Gilpin House, which is sometimes called Lafayette's headquarters, even though. He didn't have troops, so it was probably a misnomer. Um, there's debates whether Lafayette actually slept there or not. It doesn't really matter. He, he was in the area. He knew Gilpin. So you have this wonderful tree that, you know, hundreds of years old. Uh, there was a sign, I talked a little bit about myths. Um, there was a sign that said Lafayette was treated for his leg wound under this tree, and of course that's not true because he would have been captured by the British who had the sycamore tree by the time he was wounded. Um, so it's it's just you know it's just one of those trees just make it's just been there forever, and you know, it it spreads out and it's it's almost like a. I, I know uh, uh, some of the heavy branches are cabled together so they yeah. don't split. They're so heavy now. Now, the, uh, your farm has been the, the subject of many paintings. And, really? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but it's also the subject of one of your paintings here, uh, Dawn's Early Light. Yes. It uh, has an American flag on yes. it. Uh, tell us about that painting. Uh, it's a Carter Hill. Uh, it's, to me, very personally, it seems like it's a hub of chats for it stayed that way since the battle and so on. It's uh, it has seen so much history, you know, from uh, uh, the skirmishes of the battle uh, through uh, uh, NCY's tragic accident. You can see all that uh, from that peak of that hill, you, you know. Uh, Andy's painted uh, at my grandparents' farm for uh, over 70 years, and, and uh, artifacts of the battlefield of the battle have uh, been found there. Um, and uh, uh, the painting was done right after 911, and uh, through all the tragedy that uh, the country went through, then it just seems like. Uh, uh, you know, everybody the day after 911 need to get an American flag. And uh, of course we were one of them, but we couldn't, you know, we couldn't find one. So I ended up painting a bed sheet and that's what's up on the hill as, a, as the flag. But but there there's a foreboding in that picture and there's hope and, and, and there's a strength of character. And that hill to me covers it all. It's very scenic, and there's no housing developments anyplace, so yeah. that's also good. <laughs> now you mentioned that, that these paintings have been uh, worked on over many years. Yes. Uh, are there, can they be seen together anyplace? Uh, no, I don't think so. They're, uh, different private collectors have them. Maybe someday we can organize an exhibit to bring them together. That would be a wonderful thing. 
if people wanted to visit some of these sites, uh, some of them are certainly private property. Yes. Uh, others perhaps are publicly accessible. Uh, how would people go about trying to, to find some of them? Um, the, the, brand new, uh, the Tourist Bureau has some information. Uh, there's a state park, Brandywine Battlefield State Park. They, they have, they'll offer some tours or if you're lucky, you can get Carl and I to uh, give a little private tour, maybe. What do you, once people read this book, what do you want people to take away from it? Uh, maybe lost but not forgotten, but, uh, but refining Brandywine again. I, I think it's also the spirit of independence. This is where our country really began, and, and this is, just a prime example of the sacrifices made for our freedom, and I, I'm hoping people delve back to the, the, our history and actually do their own research rather than trying to get some of the revisionist history that's now going on. Well, we've been speaking with Carl Kerner and Bruce Mowdy. They are the authors of the book Emotional Brandywine. Thank you both for joining me. Appreciate Thank you, it. Phil. Thank you so much. Listeners like you make PCN programming possible. Full episodes of PA Books, as well as other PCN programs, are available to stream with the PCN Select app. To learn more about PCN's mission and to support PCN with a donation, visit PCNTV.com. This link and others can be found in our show notes. We appreciate your support.